Hello and welcome back to another episode of First Team Podcast. On this week's episode, I have some news. Uh, and that news is that uh, former U.S. soccer uh, presidential candidate uh, in two years, I believe the years are 2017, and uh, he tried to run in 2021, but he had to drop out for personal reasons, for family reasons. Uh, and that person is Paula Pointe. Paula Pointe will join me on this week's episode and uh, over the course of the next couple of months leading up to the U.S. soccer election, he will uh, join us on a more consistent basis uh, and I'm looking forward to that uh, of having a stakeholder that has many years in the game from all different levels of playing the game and uh, being on the business side uh, when he was working with the United Premier Soccer League. Paula Pointe has a lot of experience in U.S. soccer and he shares his expertise, his opinion on First Team Podcast. So I'm joined uh, by Paul Lapointe. As everyone is aware, he ran uh, to be the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, president in 2017. And uh, he ran again, or he started his campaign in 2022, but he had to end that uh, due to family reasons. So welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, thanks, John. It's a pleasure uh, to talk with you guys again. And, uh, you know, who's that Lapointe guy is still around? Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people know you from social media, of course. Uh, but can you, yeah. uh, I guess, uh, talk about uh, your soccer experience briefly? Because uh, you were working with uh, the UPSL as, I guess, mm -hmm. their regional director, right, for the Northeast? Uh, national national director. director? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, as a seven-year-old, I started out as a ball boy for a local college uh, in Rhode Island. And... Um, got bit by the sport and fell in love with the sport and played all the way from seven uh, through uh, the youth ranks, high school ranks, um, semi-professional uh, outdoor leagues. At that point, there were Laza, um, the Albany Capitals, which are part of, um, uh, I believe, the NASL at that time. And, um, and then in 1981, I had uh, a brief stint with the New York Cosmos as a tryout at Giant Stadium. And I was called also with the Tampa Bay Rowdies to have a tryout, but I chose to uh, to go to the Cosmos uh, camp there. And what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, as a player, and then obviously um, graduating from the outdoor game, I uh, had an opportunity uh, to go indoors uh, with the USL or the USISL at the time in 1996-97. Um, as a team owner, uh, because I was going for the rights for an outdoor franchise, but there was a 50-mile radius protection plan in place that did not allow me to do that because there was already a team in my market. So we entered the indoor game, and uh, we created a team, and we stayed there. And then we recognized the gap in the indoor game under Major Indoor Soccer League. So I created the American Indoor Soccer League to give um, – players an opportunity uh, more in the professional indoor ranks uh, to aspire to and then move up to the MISL. So we stayed there seven years. Um, the Mass Twisters, uh, the Massachusetts Twisters that I founded, uh, stayed there, uh, won a national championship, and then we graduated um, in 2008 to go to the MISL out of our stadium. And uh, we had some 
really wonderful years in the indoor game. Uh, played the indoor uh, at the professional level for eight years till I came off the uh, the turf, and um, then we moved on. Um, so we created, uh, you know, quite a history with the professional team, professional uh, playing. I uh, coached in the college ranks uh, here in Springfield, Massachusetts, won a regional and national title in the college ranks as a coach. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've had um, some experience uh, and, and within the business of it as well, not just in the playing side of it. And, um, you know, on, on we go. And then we um, gapped a little bit, got a call from the UPSL, and then we fired up this region of the country for them and went from – 70 teams to 160 teams in a very short period of time introduced the test pilot for promotion and relegation within the amateur ranks. And, um, you know, then, then things just, you know, kind of evolved. So, uh, you know, from seven years old to 58 years old that, you know, do the math. I mean, 50, 50 years around the game inside and outside the lines retail businesses along to go with it and franchises uh, all within soccer. So uh, brings us to this place today. Yeah. And uh, fans of lower division soccer and just listeners of first team podcast, uh, they can expect uh, Paul Lapointe to join the show on a consistent basis uh, throughout uh, the run up to the election. Of course, he won't be involved in that, but we will have regular coverage on that. Uh, But Paul, I guess outside of uh, promotion and relegation, what is one thing that you would like to see change uh, in U.S. soccer? A lot of the um, issues that are here today are because of those uh, topics, conflict of interest, non-equality, discriminations, and who would ever thought we'd be talking about these things inside U.S. soccer uh, years later. Um, but I would like, you know, again, removal of conflict of interest. And it's there, and it is uh, people... A lot of people, important people in U.S. soccer and leaders run away from the topic. It's very sensitive, um, and but it's there. And one example will be this. Um, I will take Major League Soccer and some, which everybody talks about. I mean, it's been a topic for, for now for years. But the commissioner of Major League Soccer is the CEO of some, which holds the rights to the media for U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer, also sits on governance committees, voting rights committees within the U.S. Soccer, and also receives and allocates money to U.S. Soccer on behalf of his league and his media company. So how can that person be neutral when it comes to critical votes? And how can that person be critical with the people that he hires and then we'll talk about the media that's involved within our soccer um, without naming names. So there's a ton of conflict of interest. It's common sense. It's right there. It's never been addressed. And it truly is the, I think, number one or number two biggest problems we don't address head on is remove conflict of interest. And that conflict of interest we see today has put the United States Soccer Federation in a chokehold, uh, legally and otherwise. These have been, have been addressed. Um, Major League Soccer still holds a large percent of the voting. Um, Athletes Council 
um, which there are members of the Athletes Council that are hired by the media that MLS um, controls. Um, so it's, it's almost a domino effect. And until the conflict of interest is removed, the United States Soccer Federation is going to have a very difficult time to deal with all the issues that, it, that, it's, uh, that it's going to be faced with today and the next 20 years. Yeah, and I guess a lot of fans would say, how do you remove that conflict of interest? Well, you, you have to be a, a, a leader mm-hmm. uh, with the power that's uh, vested in you by the board to remove it. And if it's there, you have to remove it. And that one example that I gave is Don Garber. Remove him from the voting. Remove him if he's going to continue to be the Major League Soccer commissioner. And they're going to, Major League Soccer, uh, with their divisional sanctioning, is going to reimburse or pay for that sanctioning to the tune of $30 million or more a year to U.S. soccer. That's a conflict of interest and a leveraging factor. There's no how can he make an intelligent, neutral decision when he votes for the next president, the next vice president, because he works for two other entities that are in interest with with the United States Soccer Federation. And again, it's common sense. It's I don't think it's brain surgery. It's there, and. Um, you know, it's you. You just have to be a leader to be able to face these things, move to remove, and and fight for the removal uh, because it makes sense for its members. It upholds equality. It upholds inclusion. It upholds um, everything that we talk about. And up until this year, if you've noticed, um, since we've been really pounding the fact of conflict of interest. United States Soccer Federation, I think six or seven months ago, released an actual conflict of, of interest um, protocol. And within that protocol is exactly the same things that happen within its own federation. So it's very, it, it's very disheartening. Yeah, and lastly here, Paul, I guess can you uh, give an update uh, on if we will see uh, other uh, candidates uh, standing for some positions in uh, the, the presidency, vice presidency? Will we see other candidates? I think I think not at this point. And um, discussing with, um, uh, and I'll be very candid uh, with Winalda, who I was very supportive uh, in 2017-18 when our platforms uh, lined up uh, very, very similar. And I was the only one uh, at that point to uh, concede, knowing that you know Winalda probably had the best chance at that point. And I had reached out to every one of the other candidates and, and, and asked them to do the same and, and union and become a union and create unity and, and get behind one candidate who can deliver. Um, having said that, uh, I don't think anybody can break through um, uh, the voting system at this point. And they're going to increase the level um, of voting percentages for Major League Soccer, from what I understand. Um, so I think there's a lot of people who shouldn't be and are for all the wrong reasons afraid to run for such a top position and contribute. Uh, and let's face it, um, the presidency of the United States Soccer Federation is a volunteer. Um, there is perks, there is benefits, there's, there's uh, you know, things that go along with that job, but the CEO is the one who makes the big ticket. Um, so I don't think that, I think this based on what has transpired from 
2017 to today, I think there's a lot of people that are so beautifully decorated and qualified to to run the United States Soccer Federation and represent it for America within the global game. But they're in fear to do so because they know in the end result, the voting structure alone is fragmented to the point where it can go all the way for someone and then it can block by employees of the very companies that I mentioned earlier in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, that is crazy. Um, and I guess in future conversations, we will talk more about the voting structure, I guess talk more about the grassroots votes as well. Um, mm-hmm. But Paul, I do want to thank you for joining me this week. Yeah, it's a great conversation. I mean, you guys, I'm not afraid to talk about any topic, subject thereof. I've lived it, personally experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wishes are... are that U.S. soccer aspires to levels uh, beyond its own mission statement uh, and, and can really move to uh, equality, inclusion, and definitely no conflicts of interest. When those things happen, the Federation will be free and it will uphold all the things uh, it really defines in its own mission statement. So uh, a pleasure again coming on. and. Um, Again, uh, from the smallest benches to the largest boardrooms, the grassroots is where it is. Thanks to Paul LaPointe for joining me on this week's episode. I really do appreciate it. You can email the show at firstteampod at gmail.com. We will have more announcements uh, regarding contributors to our weekly podcast. We are working on a brand new website. That is firstteampod.com. We have a lot in store, a lot coming up over the next couple of months so uh, please keep it locked here at first team podcast i will be back next week with another episode uh but like i said earlier in the next couple of weeks we will have more regular content on our website on social media on our two weekly shows and on other mediums so please stay tuned for that one uh i'm really excited about this new era of first team podcast and uh i will be back next week. And as always, let's go New York City Soccer.